for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. We are live and amplified. So let's get ready to podcast. Fire it up. Welcome, everybody, to another live and amplified livecast. I'm your host, Tom Quiet, and we are back at it again. No, this is not a rerun of our last podcast. We are back at it. It's a twofer kind of day for us. You know, never the grind never stops. You know, I never sleep. It's always fun here. We've got another amazing, amazing guest. This time, she's actually stateside. We have Devin O'Day. For, and uh, how's it going today, Devin? It's just awesome, Tom. I'm so happy to be with you tonight. I, and I'm a night owl, so this is just perfect for me. So my creativity just gets good and started. Awesome, awesome. You know, when I saw that it was at 9.30, for some reason in the back of my head, I was like, well, maybe she lives out on the West Coast. Like, because, <laughs> you know, it's, I thought I was the only crazy person that does night podcasts. Like, we do a lot of uh, international stuff. So like yeah. my my sleep schedule is all kinds of crazy. Uh, every once in a while, I'll get the request to do a 3am 3am interview. And it's like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so that's my kind of stuff. I'm not, I mean, when I finish this, I'll be editing my podcast with the Bellamy brothers. Uh, and I'll probably work in all, all through the night with that. So awesome. Well, you brought it up. So we're going to jump on that train right away because okay. the Bellamy brothers were actually our very first national touring act on our podcast. Oh, wow. They and, are so good. Yeah. Like we only had 15 minutes with them because it was right before I was living in Roswell, New Mexico at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, the, we were really good friends with the uh, the owner of the venue and he gave us the contact for the tour manager and we were able to set something up and we only were able to get like 15 minutes but you know what it was an amazing 15 minutes we actually did it on their tour bus we did the podcast interview on their tour bus yeah which that was the first time i'd ever been on a tour bus so that was pretty cool um but you know, just Bellamy Brothers, they were really nice, really down to earth. I'm sure you you had the exact same experience. Yeah, they're really, really funny. And I've known them for a really long time. Uh, they got started in the business the same year I did. Okay. So um, I was playing Let Your Love Flow when it came out as a single on okay. the radio. So we go back away. We've known each other a lot of different places. So it was it was really fun. Nice. Yeah. And then actually uh, last night, um, I had Roger Earl from Fawcett on the podcast. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? No, like and here, here, here's the here's how I got that interview. Here's how I got that interview. So back when they first started, they had the this album called the uh, Rock and Roll Outlaws. Yeah. yeah, Rock and Roll Outlaws. The airplane that is on the album cover. My uh -huh. dad flew the airplane to their shoot. No. And so anytime growing up, my dad would all like there's my dad's a pilot, obviously. Um, so anytime growing up, 
and he was trying to impress our friends, mm -hmm. he would just break out one of his many cool stories. And the most consistent one was always, I have an airplane on a very popular album or a very popular band's album cover. <laughs> because at the time in the early 90s being you know 10 years old if you had said fog hat that wouldn't have meant anything to anyone because you know it that just wasn't our genre that wasn't our type of music at that point and so but as we got older you know it started meaning a little bit more yeah. and then uh, about two years ago my dad was getting ready to go into retirement um because it's in the U.S. 65 forced retirement for pilots. Yeah. And so I reached out to the band. I was like, hey, my dad's getting ready to retire as a pilot. This is why I'm reaching out to you. He was the guy that flew the plane out to your photo shoot for Rock and Roll Outlaw album cover. And Roger's wife responded. was like, oh, that's really cool. I will have to tell Roger and see if we can get them to send like a congratulations on how many and we'd like figure it out yeah um and then shortly after that my dad got diagnosed with prostate cancer oh. and he got had to retire like nine months early and so like all my plans kind of went to the wayside and the pandemic happened oh my goodness and i was like you know what i've still got her email i've still got linda's email I'm going to reach out to her and just see if we can do a podcast, you know? And so I emailed her like late last week. I was like, Hey, we talked about a year and a half ago, my dad, you know, and I reiterated the story and she's like, Oh yeah. I was kind of wondering what happened to you. Like I hadn't uh -huh. heard from you in a while. And I was like, but my dad's good. And I kind of explained the entire story and she was like, Oh, Roger would love to do a podcast with you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like I'm preparing and I thought, okay, well, obviously this guy is a very big star and I'll be lucky if I can get, I was going back to the mind of when we had a podcast with the Bellamy brothers. Yeah. I was like, okay, 15 minutes. That's about what I'm going to get out of them. We ended up talking for an hour and a half. We didn't really even talk about Oh anything. my gosh. Yeah. But you just chatting with him. That is so cool. <laughs> That's what I find that, that people are always willing to just have a conversation and tell their yeah. stories. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like that, you know, and that's why bringing you on was really interesting because, you know, you're on a, you do a lot of other stuff in within the music industry. And so like, just, I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. And, you know, and I knew some of the names that we had on, were names that you were going to be familiar with and names that you have had on your podcast as well. But podcasting's not where you got your start. You've been doing radio as for a long time. Since Marconi invented yeah. it. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been in, been in radio a long time. It was my, it was my kid dream. I just hung out, hung out at the radio station and I finally I figured out I wasn't going to leave. Okay. I thought it was the most magical place because I loved music and I read liner notes. That's when we had records we would play. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would just memorize who played on the record and what, it, you know, it was so much fun. Yeah. Um, and podcasting actually has become what that kind of radio used to be. Mm -hmm. you know? Ab yeah, absolutely. Um, what's the, so you got your start 
you said back in the 70s, correct, doing radio? Yeah, yeah, 76. Um, I was just a kid um, hanging out. I was, you know, and my dad would drive me to the radio station. I would work the overnights on weekends, but I didn't find out until I turned 40 that he waited outside the whole night mm. because he was afraid to leave me, his little girl in a radio station by herself in that bad part of town. So he would stay outside and wait for me to get oh, wow. finished and do the overnight yeah but it was really cool and um and it was at a time when i used to do my radio show looking at barbara mandrell's i always say big-haired barbara not the young hip barbara but big-haired teenage barbara <laughs> really country music and i would do my show under her poster looking at her talking to her oh wow and <laughs> where where did you where were you at living wise were you still in louisiana when you yeah, started doing yeah. radio? that was at kwrv fm in alexandria louisiana right oh. dead center nice you know it's louisiana is just an interesting state to me like it's one of the yeah. places that i've always really been interested to live in uh-huh but i think it's more because i've never actually been to louisiana like i mean i've driven through louisiana and stopped at a hotel for the night like up in like northern louisiana like but monroe like, yeah yeah like monroe like coming out to like when i was coming out to roswell i think monroe was exactly where we stopped like we cut up yeah, and, yeah. right on i-20 yeah yeah and you know it it it's always been very appealing to me and but i've never actually like stopped and gone to like new orleans alexandria you know Anyway. Every city's got its own personality. Every yeah. city's like a different country. Yeah, absolutely. And so then from there, you now currently find yourself in Nashville. What how, what was it about Nashville that kind of drew you there? You know, I was living in New York City. Uh, I was one of the first plus size models at Ford Models. And I just knew I didn't want to stay in New York. I okay. loved it. I loved, I loved learning in New York. I studied writing there. It was an awesome place, but I had to, I'm a Southern girl. And so I had to get back South and I sent letters to all over the United States, different places. Taos, New Mexico was a place oh. that was also calling my name, but um, Nashville just pulled me in. I came here for a job interview mm -hmm. and didn't get the job, but I moved here a week later. I mailed oh. everything I could or UPS everything I could and anything I couldn't, I left on the street outside my apartment building for somebody else to have. Nice. And I started over, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I've never, or no, actually I can't say like when I was moving from, when I left school, I did something very similar to get out to Roswell. Like, cause mm -hmm. I did a interesting detour. Um, after I graduated, I went and lived with my parents and everything that I owned had to fit into my night or my, uh, 1992, Ford um mm -hmm. police car I can't it, oh it's Impella? what's that Crown Vic yeah Crown Vic there you go yeah and so like everything I owned had to fit into that car and anything that didn't fit in that car just got left by the wayside and I rolled on out to New Mexico just yeah well, you can fit a lot in a Crown Vic I'm just saying <laughs> yeah oh yeah you know it it's but when you're trying to squeeze in like a futon, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, yeah. So, like, the futon was the first thing to go. It's like, okay, I don't need this futon anymore. Like, I'm not 18, I'm 
24 i'm grown i don't need this futon you know yeah. but you know so the crown vic yeah I, I completely understand where you're coming from there just picking up and pretty much starting over yeah you know i've never had a problem with that you know i think every time i moved i would have like one thing that i go okay i gotta keep this this is yeah. my memory from this chapter in my life yeah you know yeah. and um but as a general rule, I just, I've loved Nashville and, and I just didn't feel the need to leave and go anywhere else. So I came to, it came to Nashville at a really magical time. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I would find myself walking into a place really close to where I lived on Music Row. Okay. And people said, oh, it's so dangerous. It was so dangerous. Well, I had moved from Hell's Kitchen in okay. New York City. So I'm going, this is not dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> this is just you'd have to be careful wherever you are yeah yeah and, and uh, you know i'd walk i'd walk to this place called third coast which was a really neat place but dean Dillon would be having a drink talking with paul davis talking with um the the band from the mayberry rft show the dillards doug dillard that all be just sitting around talking or shell silverstein and um by clark and ray stevens and mel tillis and they were just hanging out and i go yeah. i don't know how i got here but please don't wake me up yeah absolutely and you know like i've only been to nashville a handful of times um i've been three times like and we're talking like extended like four or five days you know actually getting out to do things and it finally took this last time last time i went was in january right before like right before the tornado yeah. and then obviously a few months before the pandemic hit. Yeah. And, you know, it was me and my, uh, two of my buddies that helped me do the live and amplified thing because we're not just a podcast. We do like live acoustic sets and all that fun stuff. So we'll do like mm -hmm. jam sessions and we'll put that together as one of our podcast episodes. You know, we, so we do a lot of really cool things and, uh, this time we went out the this last time we went out to Nashville, I was like, you know what? Every time we go somewhere, we do everything. Like we book ourselves so full to make sure that we get as much content as right. we can while we're there. Let's put ourselves in a situation where we have to go enjoy something because, Good. you know, cause it was like the first time I went out there, I rented an Airbnb in out in like Antioch and everybody's like, why are you running an Airbnb in Antioch? That is like the most dangerous place in Nashville. And I was like, I grew up on the South side of Chicago. There's very little that's going to scare me, you know, <laughs> you know, same, very same situation right. for you. Like, yeah. you know, the, it's not that bad. Like it's actually kind of a cool part of town. Like yeah. from my perspective, you know, I had a, I just remember the first time I told uh, one of the bands where I was going to be, their manager called me and they're like, are you nuts? And I'm like, no, why? And they sent me a screen cap of an app that tracked like all the gunshots fired. And yeah. it was like of Antioch. And it's like, just looks like the phone has chicken pox. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I'm going to be right at home. And yeah. they're like, well, I'm a little concerned about sending our band into doing a, a jam session, if that's where it's at. And I'm like, well, it's going to be 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. And if living in Chicago has taught me anything, 
everything happens between 4 p.m. and 4 a.m. Yeah. You know, so you guys are going to be all right. I think you guys yeah, are going to be all exactly. right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, you know. I always say, but, you know, downtown Nashville is no picnic either. I mean, I, I got music row and I, I go, things happen. Things yeah. happen everywhere. Absolutely. And so this, like, so the first time we went, I had booked myself three 16 hour days. Mm-hmm. And so it was like from 8 a.m. to midnight every oh day. Oh my gosh. And I did that by design because it was like, okay, well, I don't know when I'm going to be able, at the time, I didn't know when I was going to be able to come back. I was convinced that I may never come back because at the time I wasn't making a lot of money on my nine to five job and, Mm -hmm. you know, paying $600 for a trip to Nashville was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this again. And so like I went and I booked like 30 bands, like just 30 bands in three days, you know, it was absolutely madness. And so then when we finally got the chance to come back in January, I was like, you know what? let's go get ourselves into a proper soundstage. Like, cause I didn't realize that that was a thing that was everywhere in Nashville. Like you could go rent a band practice stage for half of what I was paying for that Airbnb. Yeah. You know? So um, we did that. And luckily it was at a time where it was like Saturday, Sunday, Monday and Sunday, they were only open from noon to 10. So it's like, well, I got to figure out what we're going to do from, 8 a.m. to noon and so we went over to the opry oh very cool yeah we went down we were gonna go to, we went down to music row and i really wanted to go to the bb kings i wanted mm-hmm. to go to bb kings but i wasn't gonna pay 25 dollars an hour to park or whatever oh please whatever. all right yeah and so i was just like okay well let's find something else to do and then we ended up going to the opry so that was that's good that's good but um so what you're you're started doing radio how is i i don't want to say it that i'm going to try and say it in the best way i can how how's from your perspective how has the importance of radio kind of changed over the years radio uh will always be important but it may not always be the same form. Okay. Okay. What I mean, it's not, it may not always be, uh, it's terrestrial. We're going to get in our car and turn on a station. Now people make their own stations. Mm -hmm. Uh, they get in their car and to me, there's a new frontier of radio. It's called Spotify and people Mm -hmm. create a playlist and you want to get that DJ to put you on their playlist, Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, or it's a podcast or whatever. Now, radio the keys to the radio kingdom have been given to a lot of the independent artists and i think there are a lot of artists that make the mistake of trying to get on a terrestrial radio Mm -hmm. i can't be a big star if i'm not on this well maybe you won't be that kind of star without that kind of radio power but you don't want to spend five million dollars to make 50 bucks yeah absolutely you know i mean what is your goal yeah. Do you love music? Do you want to make a living doing what you love? Then find a way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's interesting because we were just talking about this on the podcast. I just uh, mm-hmm. that I was doing before you 
uh, before we jumped on this one. And it's like, I growing up radio was always the thing. Like that's where we heard the new music that was. Oh, right. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so like it was where we heard all the new music. It's where, you know, especially once we started getting older and our friends started playing music, if we heard their music on a radio station, whether it be, you know, B96, the top 40 station, or if it's the local public access station, you know, that was. Oh, it's a big deal. It was immortal at that point. Yeah. 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 You know, because growing up in Chicago, we had all kinds of radio stations, as I'm sure many, many major cities do. Like we had the local public access where they would play just about anything. And then, yeah. But now it's like you get put on a Spotify playlist that has 10 million followers. You're going to get a lot more from that. Yeah, it, exactly. You know, cause it's like, you're sitting there and you know exactly how many people are listening and you're going to see a direct result from that. Whereas on the radio, you have to assume that their analytics are correct and that their ratings are correct. And that all those people just happen to be listening at that exact moment when your song played, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, and that the same thing goes for TV. Cause it's like, I I work in the TV industry right now. Like that's my nine to five. I work for an ABC affiliate. I do commercials. And so that's always their big pitch is, Oh, well, we've got all these numbers. We've got all these viewers. And it's like, yeah, you do. But you know, yeah. Yeah. Like how, how do you know that they're watching at that exact time that you say that they're supposed to be watching? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, but so we talked about what got you into radio and like what what was the interest. Um, what was your favorite part about? What's your favorite part about being on radio? Like we'll get into the podcasting part of it because I know that's a little bit more recent for you. But what was it's your the same to me? Oh, it's just okay. the same. It really is. Radio is radio is radio. I love finding the story and I love finding great music. What I don't like about the new way that radio is, is having to filter through this little tiny hole. You have this big funnel, yeah. this little tiny hole, and they're going, all this music in this big funnel can't go down this hole. We're going to tell you the 10 songs that go down here, and those yeah. get played. Yeah. And I didn't like that. I hated yeah. that. What I love about any radio is that um, podcast, whatever, I love connecting with artists and getting stories that nobody else could get. I'm this weird person, no matter where I go in the world, someone will sit down and tell me their story and they've never met me in their life. I always said oh. that's my superpower. Nice. Yeah. And you know, that's just what I love about podcasting in general. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, there is there, like you'd mentioned, there's no gatekeepers. There's no real restrictions to what you can do. Um, like I've always had this dream of doing a podcast where whenever I'm in the air, like this was back when I was flying a lot, like whenever I was in the airport, 
and I knew I had a long layover, I'd go sit next to somebody and just talk to them and record the conversation. Like, and Isn't that awesome, you know, and it, I tried it once and it didn't go over as well as I wanted it to. Cause the guy kind of looked at me like I was crazy, but the, like, you know, we're talking 2014 where everybody's like on complete edge and just like, what's your motive here? You know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then I started doing the music, the music podcast. It, the music podcast was actually kind of interesting because it was a moment of pure panic uh-huh. turned into a moment of pure genius. Cause so we had a regional touring band that was coming through Roswell and we wanted to do like a, a jam session with them where they set up and they play, we record it, you know, all that fun stuff. And their manager called us and said, Hey, we'd love to do something with you guys, but we just don't have the time to do a double setup and play a full, like a five songs or whatever. We just don't have the time. I'm like, okay, I understand. Um, well, what if we just sat down and talked and I recorded it and we released it. And she was like, Oh, like a podcast. And I'm like, yeah, I guess we could call it a podcast. Cause I had done podcasts previously, yeah. but they never made it past like six episodes because it was just like, like my first attempt at it was like a baseball podcast. And then I stopped working for the baseball team and I had no more people to interview. And then I yeah. tried to do a film podcast and then it was just like, okay, this isn't fun anymore. And then the music one, I went in and the lady was like, oh, okay, so like a podcast. And so we did it. It was cool. It was a cool conversation. And I was like, okay, cool. We could turn this into something, but let's make it so it's not like something that we have to do every week. Like we'll just do it when we have time. Right. And so we did it and we had another, and then like it started becoming a weekly thing. And then it was like, okay, well, I don't want to make it a weekly thing, but if it happens to work out like that, great, you know? Mm. And so just not having to be on a time commitment is the one thing that I really enjoy about podcasting. But, you know, if you want to grow, you have to be on some sort of a schedule. Yeah. But, And now I find with the Zoom, like we were talking about this before you jumped on here, I find with Zoom, now I'm just reaching for the stars and I'm just podcasting every minute of every day. It's like next week I have 27 podcasts scheduled in a seven day stretch. And it's like, oh, where am I going to sleep? Like, how am I going to, you know? That's the thing that I'm finding hard to find. I thought I didn't sleep when I worked morning radio. I worked with the House Foundation for 18 years. And it was the most popular country radio show in the country. We were the first syndicated radio show for mornings. Uh, and I was getting up at four o'clock in the morning to go to work. I sleep less now than when I did that show. <laughs> That's my concern. Like I tell my mom almost anytime that the topic of conversation comes up about live and amplified and what we're going to do with it. I was like, the only reason I don't leave my job is because I know with my job, I'm going to get sleep because I know Mm. Monday through Friday at 10 AM, I have to be at some level of a functioning adult. Mm -hmm. Whereas with live and amplified, it's like, Oh, well I can go work 20 days straight, run myself into the ground. And then I can just like, okay, I'm tired today. So I'm going to just not book anything and then sleep for the day, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But 
So I'm kind of interested because I was trying to read through your uh, bio there and kind of get a grasp of what your what like what your his, history, so to speak, uh, in radio is. So what station did you start at? And then like, wh- how did you kind of climb through the uh, radio business and then into podcasting? KRRV in Alexandria. Then I studied voiceover in New York, and that's where I met uh, Howard Stern and some people that were there. And Howard, to me, is he he changes. He goes against everybody as far as what everybody says. This is how you do it. But I think he's a genius. Mm-hmm. I think he created his own thing. And so watching him and being around New York, but I studied voiceover there, so that's why. I use what I learned in New York to do commercials and narrations for film. And I've narrated over a hundred audio books. Oh, wow. So I, I said, I wanted something I could do and it didn't matter how old I was. It didn't matter if I put on some pounds, it didn't matter if I had on makeup or not, yeah. I could still use my voice. Cause I, you know, you can't do anything about a voice. If you were given one, then use it. Uh, I mean, I still audition every day. I have a backstage uh, membership. And so I go to backstage and I audition for things all the time. And I get quite a few of them. And uh, I got three requests while I've been doing this interview with people saying, hey, can you do this spot for me? Can you do this spot for me? I'll plug in a microphone and do that. Then I moved to Nashville and I got a job at a hair salon but it was a hair salon where all the stars were getting their hair done. And I paid attention to all the conversations. I just was the front desk girl, Hmm. but I paid attention to all the conversations about who to know, where to go and paid attention to what radio station was the most popular. Mm -hmm. I applied there six times and finally I got a job there. And, and that's, and I just stayed there. Yeah. You know, and that's, and I've always done that, but I've done seven syndicated shows and a lot of national shows. And um, But I've always loved being a songwriter. I thought I, I loved being a songwriter, but I didn't like making that my only job mm-hmm. because I wanted to like pay rent and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I, I mean, I've never felt, I, I don't create well when I can't securely pay my bills. Yeah. And I didn't like living on that edge. Now, for some people, that's 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 what they thrive with. That just wasn't me. And I think if I tell you, listeners, the most important thing is there's nothing wrong if you have another job while you're working with your dream. I mean, Garth Brooks worked at a computer store. He sold boots and he delivered pizzas. You know, uh, Trey Bruce had the number one Randy Travis song as a songwriter, and he heard it for the first time on the radio as rain was coming down on his head, and he had a pizza box that he was delivering. Yeah. He didn't get a tip, but he did hear a song on the radio. Oh, wow. You know, so there are tons of people. Shelly Wright. Yeah. She, every, she said, I have 90 cents out of every dollar I've ever earned. She bought houses in East Nashville, which was a terrible place when she bought them. Yeah. Nobody wanted to live in East Nashville. And she just started working with those houses and she'd never flipped them. She just rented them. Yeah. And she still got every single one of those houses. Yeah. So that's an income for her no matter what. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, yeah. wow. And it's- yeah. So what was, 
like because the songwriting thing is very interesting to me because mm-hmm. I know there's a like a there's a musician that we worked with back when we first got started. She got an offer to be a songwriter for a record label, but she turned it down and I could never understand why. Just because it was like, you mean they're going to pay you consistently to write music and you could still go do your own thing and you don't have to, like, I mean, I'm sure that she wasn't going to make a whole lot of money. Like, I mean, I I don't, don't know what like the pay structure was or what have you. But she was going to be able to at least not have to worry about, oh, I went and did this show and made six bucks. Right. Yeah, you know, it was going to at least be some sort of a guaranteed. And I could never understand. And then she kind of broke it down to me like, it's like a mother giving away her child. And she didn't want to do that, you know. Well, it's important to know that the the pay structure, you never give away your writer's royalties, but the publisher, it's like a pie, you know, it's in half. You've got the writers and the publishers and having a publisher just means you have someone to pay for the recordings, pay you a little stipend, a little draw, and they pitch your songs. And, you know, I guess give away, if you get a song recorded by someone, yeah. you might think of that as giving it away. And some people have this, oh, I don't want to let somebody else sing my songs. Yeah. I was never that person. I want somebody to sing my songs. I loved it. I, I thought that the worst life in the world would be to go on tour yeah. and have to be forced to do that. I, I'm a homebody. I loved writing songs, though. I mean, yeah. I did it from the time I was like 11 or 12. I was writing songs. Absolutely. And so is that something that you still actively do right now is write music? Yeah, I do. And one of the things that I do, I don't always try. I've always felt like giving back and working with uh, young people coming into town was always a joy to me. It Mm -hmm. gave me, I loved the energy of someone new to town. I love the energy of kids that Mm -hmm. are out there. And um, so I've had my chance to write with a lot of my heroes. I wrote with Dean Dillon. I wrote with Bobby Braddock. He stopped loving her today. I've written with some amazing Hall of Fame songwriters, but I still love writing with Taylin Hope, who is just precious. I met her when she was 11 Mm -hmm. and singing songs. And we have a new single called Women of Country that is out right now. The new video just came out. Isaac Cole, who was on uh, American Idol. Mm -hmm. And we had a single called Too Nice. Um, Tyler Gummersall from Texas. He's mm. just a kid. We have five cuts together on his new project. So I love writing with the kids. Uh, and in that time, I've developed this little thing of helping some of those kids uh, step up to the next level. Nice. And we're, we're going to get into that here in one second. Um, Every time I talk to somebody from, so when I first started working with musicians from Nashville, I met, have you had a chance to meet or work with a girl by the name of Ava Page? Oh, we are trying to get our podcast times for an interview set up. She is gifted and she is truly an earth angel. Yes. You know, and it's interesting because any, I like, when I first went out to Nashville, it was November 2018. Her mm-hmm. mother reached out to me 
Yeah. This was before she had started having all her health issues. Um, and it was, Hey, I saw you're going to be in town. Would love to have Ava come do a session or whatever. And I reached back out and we just couldn't get the times to work just because what worked for her, I already had booked and, you know, and I just didn't know who she was, you know, just cause I'd never been to Nashville. And so now like I follow her and anytime I go somewhere and I talk to somebody that's records in Nashville or they live where I'm at, but they go out to Nashville on a regular basis. The name Ava page comes up and everybody in Nashville knows who she is. And it's like, dang, I think I really messed up. Like I, yeah. Oh, you didn't mess up. You didn't mess up. She's a really special person and um, everybody gets that. Sometimes timing doesn't work out. She and I've been working trying to make this happen for over a year now. So it, it, it'll happen when it's supposed to. Yeah. And you know, so I think we're gonna, I, I really don't like going to Nashville in January, just because I feel <laughs> like that's like shooting or playing with my life a little bit because of the, you never know what the weather's going to do. Yeah. It like, can be really bad. It can be yeah. nice, but you know, it just always seems to work out because coming from Texas, it's like, 14 hours and then we do a bluegrass festival down in the florida keys every like martin luther king the weekend of martin yeah. luther king day yeah and so like the week before we'll go to nashville and cut down you know and then we'll yeah. kind of do a run in florida there um and so i don't want to make january like the hey let's go to nashville every january but it seems to be working out so it may end up being well, people are here. Nobody's on tour then. Yeah, that and then actually Nashville is kind of interesting because it works in our favor because usually when we come to Nashville, it's on the weekends and that's the hardest time to book musicians, but mm -hmm. not in Nashville. It is super uh -huh. easy to book musicians on the weekends for us for whatever reason. And somebody broke it down. They were telling me, well, it's because they usually bring in the major acts on the weekends. Mm -hmm. and so it's really hard for us to find gigs on the weekends so we just like if we're not if we're not working a nine-to-five job we have a lot more free time on the weekends i'm mm -hmm. like oh okay like that theory makes sense you know yeah. so i think that's one reason why we really like coming out to nashville on the weekends because it's we can just book whatever we want whenever we yep. want so yeah but so to backpedal a little bit, you'd mentioned that you like helping younger musicians. Mm -hmm. That's what we're all about. We want to make sure every interview, we want to make sure anybody that's listening walks away with a little bit of enlightenment or advice or finds value in something that we talked about. Because I know for a fact, we could sit here and go on and on and on and not bring anything of value other than just pure entertainment. So that being said, um, what advice do you have for younger musicians that are maybe just getting ready to start or they're trying to find their creative footing? What advice do you have for them? Um, put yourself in the room with people who are older than you and don't discount that they won't know how to do what you do. Uh, if they've lasted this long making a living in music, chances are they've got a lot of advice to really help you. Uh, the things that are foundational, not 
how to do your socials. They may not be so good at that, yeah. but they'll give you something. I see a lot of kids come into town and they're great with socials, but they can't get out of their phones when they get on stage. They don't have any stage presence. Yeah. So cut your teeth on as many stages as you possibly can. Interact with your people. If they're not going to pay it, that's okay. Get paid laying carpet. Get get in front of people and get paid from the people by their attention yeah. by doing that. Number two, find a way to monetize everything that you do. And don't be afraid to ask for what you are worth. Mm-hmm. If you are doing a show... Um, it's okay to say, you know, I, I, I need to get paid, you know, and, and look at that and, and have, a, have a, a thought of how much you need to get paid to mm-hmm. do a private party or something like that. If you're playing a gig and you're doing it for tips down Broadway in Nashville, okay, you're working for tips. You determine your value by how good you are mm-hmm. and how you can enter, engage with the people, but know your value. But I, I heard a really great uh, singer-songwriter explain how they really were doing well. They sold their tracks. They, you know, I, I never even thought about doing that. You know, they sold, they had their tracks available in case anybody in their audience says, man, I really like that song. I'd like to sing that song. When mm-hmm. I go back home at my church or if I go home back to the club, I want to be able to play this song karaoke on my back yard when we do a barbecue Mm -hmm. so i've watched people monetize you know i've had artists that go you know i'm really good at making earrings one kid uh tom one kid told me they said nobody's buying cds anymore miss devon i said what are they buying and they go what do you mean well they really like my earrings i said the ones that you make i said well then sell the earrings and give them your music yeah, Absolutely. I said charge twenty five dollars for the earrings, <laughs> and that'll pay for your CD. Yeah. And actually, that's something that I've been telling a lot of musicians now because they're yeah. they're struggling with. Well, I don't like selling my out my CDs because people w- don't won't want to buy them, and because they can get it on Spotify for free. And I was like, well, here's what you do, and it, so you got the digital download cards. So like, however you distribute the digital downloads, you go right now, vinyl is huge. Like vinyl is making the biggest resurgence. I've, I've never thought it would come back the way it has. Absolutely. Yeah. So what you do is you find a vintage vinyl presser. Like you find somebody that's doing like small batch vinyl because they're out there. Like I'm sure you have a few of them in Nashville that are doing mm-hmm. small batch Absolutely. vinyl. Absolutely. So you take, you press like a 40, I probably, I've, at the time I was saying 45s, like because I thought they would be cheaper. You know, they may be, they may not be. Uh, so you press a 45, you put a legit A side, B side but you charge them $30 for it and then you give them your album just so like they walk away with the hard copy but they get to listen to it on their phone or whatever and Mm -hmm. sign the album like bingo like you're giving you know i don't know what vinyl what it costs to press small batch vinyl right now because i'm not in the market for it but if you can't make money off of $30 for it then you're probably going to the wrong person 
Yeah, you're exactly right. I always say that your CD or your hard copy of anything is your souvenir from the show. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. People aren't necessarily buying because they can't get it anywhere else. Yeah. They might not play it like that. But if you package it so it's something you can sign mm -hmm. and they've had an interaction with you, yeah. they'll want that copy. And so, you know, how much is this? How much can you pay? This yeah. is a this donation keeps my music alive. Yeah. I get to keep making my music if you will support me. Get yeah. a Patreon page. Yeah. Get a fan camp page. Get people invested in you just like you're invested in yourself. Yeah. And, and, and don't be afraid. That's the thing I get with these kids. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but they're so afraid to ask for money, but it's not I mean if you laid somebody's tile, would you say, I'm sorry, but I can't ask you for money to do that? No. Yeah. Well, if you make a living with your music, don't be afraid to say, yeah. hey, help me out on this. Drop something in the jar. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, I was, when I was living out in New Mexico, there was a guy, he lived in Lubbock, which is out in West Texas, yeah. not far from Roswell there. He was yeah. having a hard time figuring out how he was going to, make money from his music because he was a guy i think at the time he was in like his late 40s and he was playing like the solo acoustic stuff and the genre just didn't resonate with the 45 to 60 like his age demographic and he was trying to figure out how he was going to make money with his music and one day he came up with this like super brilliant idea the he found this venue that they charge um, like $10 to get in. Like it was a $10 cover charge. And whenever they had music, the deal was you got half of the door. For, not for the night. Like whatever it was, you got half of the door. Mm -hmm. And so he came up with the idea of, okay, well, if I'm getting half of the door of the sales, he gave everybody that came in from the moment his, from a half hour before his set start, to afterwards he gave them a free ep like it, like uh -huh. whatever the ep was and so he started doing that and that's how he started building his fan base and then it got to a point where when he got to got when he was getting ready to release his lp any the venue said okay we'll give you a hundred percent of the door and he basically, they were paying $10 to get in and they were paying $10 to see him play, but they're also getting the album. So he would sell, like, I think opening night or hit the date, the release party, he sold like 300 albums or something. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like for an independent musician, that's crazy money, you know? So he, he stumbled onto something that, like, I mean, I don't feel like it's like groundbreaking because I feel like people do, should be doing that anyways, but. You know, like if they're paying a door charge. One of the things that uh, a lot of artists get asked, and they, they say no to a corporate event because okay. they might have to pay covers, play covers or something. Okay, I'd say if you get asked to do a corporate event at the Holiday Inn, you do it. But you can also pitch if you do get hired to do that and say, hey, would you like something for your goodie bag for your attendees? Yeah. What do you mean? and sell the event planner yeah. your cd and sell it to them wholesale so yeah. everybody gets a copy of that cd there might be a thousand people mm -hmm. well my gosh can you imagine if if 
right off the top, if you you know charge them five bucks a CD, yeah, as a wholesale price, they buy a thousand of them to put it in the goodie bag. You've got a you know five thousand dollars, and you've got your your whatever your door card going home with a thousand people. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, and people wonder why at these events or the uh, like the uh, CES or any of those like big mm-hmm. fairs, they're giving stuff away. It's like, yeah, they gave you a free T-shirt that cost them four dollars to print. But you're going to wear that for the next six months. That's free advertisement for them. That's free, you know, so it worked. Like, I fully believe that stuff works because, like, you give them your CD and you happen to be driving with some friends. You put the CD in and it's like, oh, hey, what is this? You know, that's three pe- three more people right there that's listening to your music. Absolutely. I have a friend who's really great at vintage shopping and she'll go in and when she's traveling in other places now nashville it's kind of tough because everybody's looking for vintage stuff it's hard to find old t-shirts that are really hip and cool but she goes to other towns that she's playing and she stops in goodwill she stops in salvation army any of the thrift stores and finds very cool t-shirts old concert t-shirts whatever and when she travels she bedazzles Mm -hmm. and creates these one-of-a-kind shirts and she charges we have a tornado coming in so you'll hear some thunder um you uh she'll have these really cool bedazzled things and she'll charge sometimes a hundred bucks for a t-shirt that's done like that there's only one Mm -hmm. of each one but she's doing so great doing that you know like a vintage reba shirt that's got rhinestones on it or something no that's really awesome and like even some of the uh like punk bands, like mm-hmm. punk rock and all that stuff, they they've gotten gone so far that they buy their own T-shirt prints, printer or yeah. like presses. And like, there's this one band that we know out in Arizona. They bought their own press. I like, I haven't seen it, so I don't know if it's like a one shirt, one type of deal, or if it's like a five shirt uh-huh. deal. But they'll go into like a secondhand shop and they'll find boxes of just blank t-shirts and you know that's what they use to print off of so they'll go into these secondhand shops pay 50 cents for a blank orange shirt or a blank red shirt and great idea you know you get these one-of-a-kind shirts like i have this bright orange shirt with their logo on it you know like you're the only one in the world that has that shirt and you paid 10 bucks for it Mm-hmm. Like, you, you think about things like you know th- that you can have made stickers are so cheap yeah. everybody loves stickers yeah. everybody loves rubber bracelets every you know things that cost you 17 cents and i mean my rubber bracelets for a lot of my artists i put them in and said this is gas money he said hey just drop something in if you want a souvenir of the show here's the bracelet just throw something in the, in the pot and it's yours yeah you know even if they put in a quarter yeah. they pay for the bracelet absolutely and i think you know that this day and age it's so easy for musicians to figure out a way to make money and leave because you can still you may not make a whole lot of money doing certain things but the trickle down like i never thought i'd actually bring up trickle down economics but like okay so like you'd mentioned, you were bringing up the rubber um, bracelets. 
mm-hmm. it costs 17 cents to make so say somebody throws in 50 cents okay you just tripled mm-hmm. tripled your uh, return on that one cool yeah but in the future they have your bracelet and they say oh i really like that band let me see what they're doing oh they got a new album out cool i want their album they'll buy your album you know and so just even though in the immediate it's not paying huge dividends but three weeks four weeks eight weeks two you know whatever it it don't have a lasting effect on people you know so Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely another thing that i always tell people there might be a cool slogan or a line from one of your songs that makes a really neat graphic t it's not always your name in great big bold letters sometimes you put your name on the back or down the sleeve but the line might be something you know you know like there's one artist that i have all that in chicken too (laughs) and he put all that in chicken too and he sells a ton of them with a little cartoon (laughs) chicken his name is on the sleeve but you know so be creative and don't worry i mean there's no rule that says okay i have to do this a certain way uh what is your audience like one of the things that artists used to do is they used to have they used to have uh eight by ten glossies that people Mm. could sign and they would sell those a lot of people don't have those anymore yeah but if you have especially a demographic in your crowd that's a little bit older you know depending upon your crowd have something there for everybody always say have something in every price range have something for everybody that comes by your table yeah and i mean the especially if you're somebody that's like really on the rise the eight by ten portraits is a brilliant idea because it's like yes it costs like depending on where you go it costs anywhere from 85 cents to maybe a couple of dollars depending on how many and where you go like if you go to walgreens i'm sure you're probably going to pay a premium for it but you know you charge five dollars and then you sign it like that any, anybody that's at a music venue they have five dollars and if they want to support you and you're on right. the rise you know so that, that's very that, cool thing. i i never really thought about it like that especially on the independent scene but now that you mention it it's like i used to be really big into like independent wrestling and that was a thing yeah. that they did you know and if you also are an artist and you go in to eat somewhere and you you go in especially if you you stop and you see they've got eight by tens on the wall. Mm-hmm. Say, this was so awesome. Can we leave a picture with you? Yeah. yeah. And sign a picture. And nine times out of 10, they'll say, yeah, very cool. <laughs> and they get a picture for their wall. Sometimes they'll even comp your meal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and that's how you get a free meal. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. there's a moth. That's really oh, no. Moth. <laughs> for whatever reason, we have gnats this time of year yeah like i thought it was because i had something disgusting sitting somewhere in a drain that gnats were starting to be born yeah and i was talking to my boss she's like oh no it's just the time of the year like for whatever reason gnats just happen to le- happen to randomly show up in your <laughs> and i'm like oh great like as long as it's not like fruit flies fruit flies are annoying yeah but you know so i totally understand where you're coming from um what's from your perspective what's something that younger musicians 
that are maybe uh, trying to find themselves creatively, what can they do to kind of flush, flush through their creative process? Write real, write something that is so specific to you that you're trying to process, write it so very real, because I will guarantee you that 90% of the people that listen to that song will get emotionally attached because they'll feel like you're reading their mail. Hmm. And if you try to be general or if you try to write for somebody else, whatever, it never, ever, ever works. As a general rule, you might say, well, such and such is a big hit and they just sat in a room and there are 15 people and they all sat and wrote that song. Okay, well, I'm not going to say that that's not it, but all those people were connected to the money stream. Mm -hmm. You're not. You got to be better. You've got to write something different. And if you want to write for that, then maybe you can go that direction. But until that day, you got to write something that's so inherently unique to you, but write emotionally, write something that you've been through, write something that you know. That's the other thing. If you have never been on a tractor, don't write about one. Mm -hmm. If you have never ridden a horse, don't write about that. Outside of Chicago, you could write more than I could. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting that you bring that up because we've been doing, there was a point there where we had a uh, bunch of interviews with country musicians from the UK. Right. And so we were, we got onto this exact topic of conversation and I was like, I had asked them what's the country scene kind of like in the UK. Like I've never been, you know, what's it like? And they're like, well, it's nothing like the U S nobody here wears a 10 gallon hat. Nobody here drives a pickup. And you might see upon occasion, somebody wearing cowboy boots, but it's not really like a mainstream thing. And I was like, Oh, okay. Interesting. So what, what's kind of the music scene like then is there a lot of like posers or do do you have like country musicians that write authentically to who they are and he he was like well there's definitely the posers that they write about you know whatever but the uk quite hasn't found what their country music's going to be because they if they're authentic country musicians they can't write about the driving the pickup drinking whiskey you know whatever it is mm-hmm. so that they're they're kind of in an interesting flux because they're trying to figure out what their sound is but there you still got these people that come over and then they pretend to play american right. style country music even though that's not what they can relate to and a lot of people can tell that they're not being authentic so. Yeah, the the bottom line is is being authentic and and really writing something experience wise that you've gone through, mm-hmm. uh, and some you know and write fun songs and some people, you know I'm gonna write okay trucks are in so I'm gonna write a song about trucks. Yeah, it's not like fashion. It really mm-hmm. isn't. And I know it's listening to contemporary country radio. You wouldn't think that because there's a whole lot of songs about whiskey and a whole lot of songs about trucks and. Yeah girls in booty shorts but that's just not all there is yeah you know it's you you brought up that uh trucks there's a musician in nashville have you heard of uh jl folks 
Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He just released a song called I Miss My Truck. And we had actually got to record it before the song released, like as part of our uh, jam session situation. And just listening to him perform it, it was like, man, that is an amazing song. Like, I can't, yeah. Because it's authentic to him. Yep. That's like Red Akins when I just saw a live show with him before the pandemic, and it was a tribute show for Daryl Singletary. And he sang and got the whole crowd singing That Ain't My Truck. Mm-hmm. A great song, perfect example of that was totally authentic to him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that that's the one thing, like living in Texas, before I moved here, I knew nothing about like the red dirt country scene. Yeah. Yeah. And so like now that I live in Waco, it's like there's a lot of that. Like so a lot of the country or solo acoustic musicians, it's like okay, they probably play Red Dirt Country. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of getting in and doing stuff with them, it's like, man, you had to bend the style a little bit to make country authentic to you, but it's still really cool. Like, we've gotten to work with a couple of local people, and then we've gotten to work with uh, Corey Morrow. Yeah. And uh, Josh Ward. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, right now I'm trying to get in contact with uh, Stoney LaRue. But with the, oh, pande- yeah. with the pandemic right now, it's just kind of like, eh, I, it's getting a little hard to get a hold of some of these people, you know. Um, the, obviously, the big get being in Waco would be Willie Nelson. Like, that, that would be... The, the dream for us but you know he's getting up there in age and every time i talk to his manager it's like oh well we're not really adding anything to his schedule right now and it's like no i 100 percent get but anytime i have the opportunity i have to ask you know of course you know you of miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take thank you that's something else that's advice to <laughs> to mention to an artist yeah it's like that's really well said tom because uh I always say, say yes and figure out the rest later. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, was there ever a time during your radio career where you heard a song that you didn't think they were going to turn out to be anything and then they did? Yeah. Like, yeah. I was probably the only person that heard the dance when Garth played the dance for me. I didn't think it ought to be a single. (laughs) That one I didn't hear, you know, but I was the one who found I'm moving on for Rascal Flatts off their Mm -hmm. album. I said, that needs to be a single. Yeah. And Joe Don said that song ended up being the difference between us being a flash in the pan and a a stick sticking band, you know, that, and uh, so I was wrong about the dance with Garth Brooks. Um, but my favorite Garth song is Friends in Low Places. So, you know, yeah. I love that. I, I, you know, I miss. That's a great song. drinking song. It mm-hmm. is. It is. I like the fun of it. I, yeah. I liked it. And that's, and, and the re, and I told Garth, I said, I'm sure that the dance is great. And I know it's going to be wonderful because you're doing it. But um, I still like your fun stuff. I can't help it. Yeah. Now, is there a situation like reverse where you, uh 
thought or yeah revert like so it ended up being a success and maybe i fought for a lot of artists i i uh i because of the proximity where i am i introduced faith hill at her first song showcase where she got her record deal uh-huh. it was the best showcase i had ever seen i fought for faith hill and big kenny from big and rich i introduced mm-hmm. him at his first showcase i just thought he has so much charisma he walks into a room and women from eight years old to 85 all swoon they they just but they're connected to him it's more than just that thing and i'm so i fought for him and he's magic with uh john rich big and rich they're just fantastic together amazing that's awesome um you know it's interesting because i had a similar situation um there was a band in new mexico like listening to them their album it was like mm-hmm. oh they're okay because their album didn't act- accurately represent how they were alive that and happens that, a lot. that's a very common thing and then when i was getting ready to leave roswell i was moving to tallahassee uh we decided okay well if i'm leaving roswell let's do a farewell show like a live and amplified and let's do our first concert you know let's find some bands and come in and we booked this band as the headliner because they had done our session, done our podcast, you know, they had done a lot of work with us. So it's like, well, we'll make them the headliner. And I heard them play live and it's like, yo, why aren't we doing more with these guys? Like they are so mm-hmm. good. Like they're like they had gotten to they had gotten on some like regional stints of like national tours. They you know, they started picking up a little bit of steam. And then they got into themselves and broke up. Like, just so, you know, it's one of those things where it's really interesting where how hard it is to keep a band together, you know? It is hard. That's when you look at people like R.E.M. and you think, that's just a miracle. Or Marshall Tucker Band. Oh, Mm -hmm. my Lord. Uh, Excuse me. (laughs) Bless you. (laughs) Thank you. Um. Yeah, you know, and I, th- this is going to be a really weird quote to make, but I go back to when I saw That Thing You Do for the first time, the movie. Yeah. And uh, at the end, when um, Guy is talking to uh, his idol, his music idol there, and he says, sometimes a band's only meant to be together for three weeks, or like a band that's, you know, some, sometimes that's all it's meant to be, you know. And it's just really interesting because it's like sometimes a band's only meant to be together for a year and then they just move on and do their own thing and they either move on to greatness or don't, you know? And I think when bands try to force it to stick together because they know they have something, that's when the real turmoil starts. Yeah, you're right. So it's, it's music industry is really interesting. Just, the different aspects um but always do what you do for the joy and if you don't love it don't do it anymore yeah absolutely. that's that's the that's the thing probably and that can be said of anything if you i do what i do every day because i love what i do mm-hmm. yeah, and um and morph if there's something you go i've never gotten to do it this way well you know you're not getting any younger any of us 
if you're eight years old, you're never going to be getting any younger. Yeah, <laughs> so do the thing that you love and have joy doing. And if not, do something else because there's always something else to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I don't want to keep you too much longer because okay. I know you'd mentioned you got your own podcast to get to editing too. So uh, you transitioned from radio into podcast. And was that just like a natural flow for you or was there some yeah. resistance and like, how did you get entered or how did you make that transition? I guess. I love podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. And I saw frontier of podcasting where I could do all of the great interviews that I couldn't use on the radio, not because they were explicit, but because they were too long mm -hmm. because now radio says you can talk for 10 to 20 seconds, but make it compelling. Yeah. Well, 10 to 20 seconds wasn't enough to build a thing. And, and, I didn't love that kind of radio to listen to. So I said, where can I use this 30 minutes with Lacey J. Dalton? That's just incredible. Where can I use this conversation that's behind the scenes with songwriter Steph Mahan? Where can I use this really gut-wrenching conversation about addiction and depression with a comedian named Cletus T. Judd? Mm. And the answer was podcast. Yeah. And I, I will say the one thing that I'm really enjoying about podcasting in general is the fact that there's no, no rules. Like, and I think it's shining a lot of light on things that was getting yeah. swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. Cause there was a point there where we were making a concerted effort to talk about mental health among musicians. Yeah. Cause you know, it was right around the time that, uh, Chad uh, Bennington from uh, oh, yeah. Park, you know, when he had killed himself. And then there's just like this run of musicians that were taking their own lives. And it was just like, okay, we've got to address this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We need to address it for everyone uh, for sure. And just having the conversation. And if musicians had the conversation, trust me, that trickle down would yeah. work as well. Yep. Because people who look up to those musicians would go, wow, they feel like me. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's an interesting thing because it's like, I've talked to a few different bands where they've never really addressed the mental health of each other. Like they're, mm -hmm. they're friends and they're always there for each other, but they don't ever say it. Like, so if this guy over here or this girl over there are having a bad day. Right you know, they just kind of internalize it and then they deal with it by drinking drugs, whatever, you know, whatever the situation is. And then that's how you get your ODs. And then that's how you get, you know, just like the sad news that we've been getting a lot lately. And which is why next week we're actually, uh, just by pure chance, we had booked a podcast. I thought she was a musician a musician initially. And then I kind of went through her profile and she's actually does a lot of TED talks about anxiety and mental health. Wow. And so it's like, okay, I'm not canceling that. We're going to keep it because we're going to focus very heavy on that because that is something that people need to hear. Even if we don't talk one minute about music, it doesn't matter. Good for you, Tom. That's the way it starts to change. And that's the thing I wanted to do more than just say, what's your new single and where can we find it? And what are your socials? Ugh. I'm so tired of that. I wanted these artists, 
And I watched Daryl Worley when I told him, I said, what's a song? My favorite thing to do when I was working on the radio, I said, what's the song that you've always wanted to hear on the radio, but you've been told or you think that nobody would ever play it? And I watched tears just stream down his cheeks and we played a song that he said, people told me it was too country. They tell me, he said, but it was a song that really means a lot to me. Yeah. And those are the songs that sell your CDs every time. It's the one that the gatekeepers say, no, let's stick with this. No, let's stick with this. And then there's that one that you go, but everybody relates to this one. Mm. Absolutely. You know, and I think every album has that, like where, you you know, they have that one song that the artist pushed to have on the album, but maybe the record execs or whoever didn't want it on the out, you know, Mm -hmm. but because it was so personal, it had to be on the album, you know? So, yeah, it's, that's really all I got to say about that, you know. <laughs> um, but what's what's the current state, or what are you? What's your podcast about right now? Like, what what do you I cover? Have, yeah, I have two. I have one is called Devin O'Day's Nashville, and it's this <laughs> it's this little hidden room where sometimes it's where an artist talks about different songs or tells stories. Sometimes the artist is talking about an issue that they really believe in. But it's those conversations that were always magical to me. And I always go, how am I here? Mm-hmm. Those things that uh, if an artist is asked questions, as you know, because you're, you're doing it right now. I mean, yeah. you ask things that everybody else is not asking. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, the artist goes, wow, I can talk about this. Yeah. I can, I can say this. And so that's what, that's Devin O'Day's Nashville. Yeah. And uh, that is aired on, uh, also on Hope Nation Radio, but you can find it everywhere, podcast yeah. or Apple or Google or Spotify. And then there's another one that's lifestyle oriented and it has a little bit of music, but it also might have, um, we have experts and, they, and you might have 10 minutes. We have a new segment called Ask the Expert and we're talking with um, a funeral director and it's called Six Feet Away. Oh, wow. Wow. And it's about, and I, we, we take literally, we're behind the scenes of some of the unusual things because he's a really young guy. I said, what made you want to be a funeral director? Yeah. And it's pretty cool. And nice. that, uh, so we have a lot of those and we have Feel Good Get Better, which is part of that Main Street Today is the name of that whole podcast. Nice. Awesome. And so it's like a bunch of different segments and you edit it. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question because this is something that I've talked to several people about i mean it's going to be a little bit of a selfish question for myself okay the one thing that i have a real hard time with interviewing people is getting past that pr version of themselves Uh uh-huh so like eight nine times out of ten if i talk to them long enough and i ask the questions just right i'll finally get them to a point where they're starting to open up but there's still like those one or two people where it's just like PR, 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 PR. I know it drives me crazy. I go, have you listened to you? Aren't you bored with you already? Yeah. Aren't you <laughs> bored with these answers? And nine times out of 10, they've been told no. I always say you have your stories ready before the interview uh, interviewer goes there. Yeah. 
you know, the, the people who got to go back on the Tonight Show and on David Letterman or the people that had the great stories when they walked in. Thunder. Ah. Yeah. But um, that's the deal. And and you just keep asking, Tom. You just and people always ask me, they go, why do people tell you that kind of stuff? And I go, because I listened. Mm-hmm. And you do. You're a great listener, Tom. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, and it, I, the one thing that I found that kind of works is I go in prepared with no questions. Like I have yep. a basic idea of what they're about. Mm-hmm. But other than that, anything, especially like in a situation like this, We've never had a conversation. The first time you logged on, it was the first time we said hi. And from the get, I was recording. So if we caught magic right from the get-go, we had it, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And then, like, every once in a while, I'll get somebody asking, well, what kind of questions are you going to ask? And I, yeah, and it's like, well, I don't even know. Like, and I'll, tell, I'll be straight up with them. Like, I don't even know. Like, we'll, I'll figure it out about five minutes out. Uh-huh. And like, I mean, I have my go-tos, like if I get into a point where I'm in a, like the conversations at a wall, it's like, okay, well, let's go to question six. Like in my head, I have like 10 questions that are just automatic go-tos if the conversation starts dying. And so it's like, okay, well, we talked about this. So let's go to question six. What, you know, who are you listening to right now? You know, something like that, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Do you have, here's the thing, I bet you have it. I have a sixth sense when it comes to people. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask a question and I've watched people's jaws drop several times ago. They go, how did you know? Because I remember asking Casey Tindall, I said, hey, how much Joan Jett did you listen to? She went, what? Because she's really country. And she goes, I love Joan Jett. I always thought I wanted to be the country Joan Jett. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, because I had that little whisper in my head, Joan Jett. And I I put that together. And I always listen to the little voices. I'm interviewing someone. I I try to pay attention to what my, that inner voice is telling me. And mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, I don't know whether it's being psychic or intuitive or just a humongous empath. Yeah. But I pay attention to those. Yeah. Uh, for me, I get it every once in a while. It's not like something that I continually get. Like if I feel like yesterday when I was uh, talking with Roger, it was just boom, boom, boom. We were firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Like It just came naturally. But there are some times where just the interview isn't there, whether I don't know if it's me, I don't know if it's that, you know, I'm not going to lie. There's definitely times where I jump on a podcast, I probably should have rescheduled. You know, the thing where you start going, what am I out of? And what do I need to have Instacart bring to my house? Yeah. I, you know, you start doing the to-do list in your head and then yeah. you realize you're taking a little vacation Yeah. and the, and the, and the interview's still going. Yeah, yeah. That's happened to me. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then like, especially right now, because I still have my nine to five job. And because I'm working remotely, I'm technically always on the clock. And so like, well, I'll sit in here, like the, it happened in the last interview. Like we were talking, it was a really good interview. Like, I'm not gonna lie. It was really good. 
but my phone went off like a little ding. And then, so I was in the middle of a train of a thought. I heard my phone go off and inside my head, I was like, Oh shit, what do they need? Yeah. What, what does work need for me? And it just kind of took me off track for a few minutes. And then I was able, once I realized, okay, it's not work. It's somebody else texting me about something completely nonsensical. I was able yeah. to kind of reel it back in, but like I when know. I'm able to be a hundred percent present and in the Here zone, stay in the now. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I have to, this is also the hour that I have a lot of artists that I do coaching with yeah. and I, some brand coaching. I work with companies and I also work with artists. It's just my little side hustle that I do um, because so many people were asking me for advice and I was giving them, okay, here's how we market this. Here, here let's create your merch, blah, blah, blah. So I just created something really, really affordable. So if an artist needed to talk to me, it was fair to me yeah. and it was also helpful to them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I want to thank you so much for your time. Like we're pushing an hour and a half and Oh my gosh. But my voice can only handle so much in one night. Okay. So you have a, some experience in this department. What are some vocal care techniques that can trans transfer even into musicians and people like myself that are doing this on a regular basis? What are. Okay. When you're not working, don't talk. Okay you know, people will talk, text, send emails when you can. Two, don't scream at anything. If you're going to a ball game, whatever, you're going to a concert, that's a tough one. Mm -hmm. Don't try to talk over the music. You mm -hmm. got to protect your voice. Three, water, 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 and then more water. There you go, baby. And then there's a lubricant that was made by an ear, nose, and throat specialist that's here in Nashville. He's a, he worked with people like Emmylou Harris and mm -hmm. Dwight Yoakam and me. And it's created, it's called Moisture 10 okay. and it's a glycerin spray. And that glycerin keeps your vocal cords from uh, causing friction. Okay. And cool. so it's really, really helpful. So those are things. And another magic thing is Lay's potato chips, plain. Really? I don't know why, but every studio in Nashville swears by them. And I'm telling something about the grease and the salt. And mm -hmm. I don't mean E20 and don't have peanuts before you yeah. have to have an interview. Yeah. I don't know what peanuts are just like death on your throat. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I always knew the water thing. Like that, that made a lot of sense to me, even from the get go. Yeah. So anytime I sit down to do an interview, this glass is a little small for me, but it was the only clean one I had, but yeah. it's a big 32 ounce tumbler of water, ice and that usually can get me through an interview, but you know. Yeah, a sore throat. Uh, there's a really cool thing uh, that you you can chew on crystallized ginger. Okay. Get it at Trader Joe's or whatever. It's really good. It's kind of hot, but it helps. But honey is really interesting because honey is an antibacterial substance. You can do it, but it's like a magnet to infection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you you got tonsillitis or something like that, something hot with with honey. Yeah. literally does pull it out and it just leaves oh, wow. you i mean i've always been a big believer in localized honey like i you're I exactly like right local honey a because it it works for me like i heard that like if you start ingesting local honey if you have like pollen allergies 
it'll help you start building immunities for the for like any pollen allergies you might have in the local area but like in central texas you're getting if you have allergies you're getting it from just about anywhere like you everywhere so it it doesn't quite work as well here but like because it changes and from which way the wind's blowing what kind of exactly yeah Yeah. if you are an artist do your interview after your show not before okay i always say i always say that talking is worse for your voice than singing okay um and so uh you know afterward but we all get ragged we all get ragged uh Mm. you know when i do audio books i'll read 90 pages in a sitting out loud doing all the voices and it it can get to you. Yeah. Rest is always important. Yeah. And like, I think after like this week's kind of light for me, but next week for whatever reason, everybody decided they wanted to jump on a podcast. And so I have currently 27 interviews booked from Sunday to Friday. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's just like, all right, after that, I'm going to take a little bit of a break. Three, four, Voice your chin. You better get... Oh, another thing. I This was from a vocal teacher that told me uh, pineapple juice okay. diluted with water, cold water, just mm-hmm. kind of it, so it's not so strong, but the enzymes in it clean if you've got... If you're phlegmy. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. It gets rid of that. And I don't know why, but it's really, really good if you're going to... Especially for singers. Okay. Judy Robin and give her credit. She's a great vocal coach in Nashville and she does online teaching as well. She was the female vocalist of the year when I first came to town uh, for the ACMs. She's really, really good, completely lost her voice and built it back. And those techniques are what she teaches her artists. Awesome. Pineapple thing is hers. Okay. Actually, the one thing that I've learned or that's kind of been working for me is putting a little bit of lemon juice. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's more just like gas and all that stuff, but you know, it's, it seems to work as well and it makes the water. Yeah. So always good. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, just for anybody listening, uh, where can they find your podcast currently and all that fun stuff? Devin O'Day's Nashville.com gives you all the information there for that. Um, anywhere you get, you can just put Devin O'Day podcast and they'll both pop up okay. uh, and they're growing every day. I'm starting a true crime one in the next couple of months. So nice. let uh, me know when that happens. I love true crime stuff. Oh, I cannot wait. I'm going to be doing it with um, a former head of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. He's a sheriff oh, here nice. in town and he has some really spooky stories. There are a lot of things that have happened and serial killers that have come through Nashville area. Mm-hmm. and we're going to have some of those stories awesome so, let me know when that launches I will be a subscriber from the first day oh I love that awesome, stuff. awesome, I love, awesome like yeah I absolutely love that stuff like my Netflix recently watched is all true crime and all that fun stuff so well, there's some fascinating stuff here so thank you so much Tom for your time uh, you can go to devinoday.net you can follow me on social media on my professional Devin O'Day page or you can go to Devin O'Day's Nashville on Facebook as well. Main Street Today is the name of the other podcast. All of them have pages. Depending upon what your jam is, we pretty much have something for everybody. Awesome. Awesome. 
once again, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank, thank you, you everybody love. for tuning in and we will catch you guys later. Bye.